All right, with Chuck Johnson almost there is the short film winner at the Action Adventure Film Festival, a winner of Best Film. What an interesting four-minute film. I never thought I'd see this, but I guess it's uh, it's about refu- the, the theme of being a refugee meets fight choreography. I guess that's what your attention was. Yes, exactly. That's a pretty innovative thing because it's like, it's really about, it's really a minute of like intense drama, tense acting. And then it's like three minutes of really interesting, a really interesting fight scene that is emotionally engaging because of the first minute that we saw, I guess. I Well, thank you very much for that. Thank you very much. And I think, you know, one of the things that I kind of pride myself on in the style of fight choreography that I have is that I, I was actually an actor first. Okay. Um, and it's, I, I had this really kind of weird life story where I came to Japan. I used to be an Olympic Taekwondo player, where I wanted to go to the 2004 Olympics for Taekwondo. So I was training in Korea that didn't quite work out the way that I had hoped. So I came to Japan, um, and simply because of my size and my build, I was a, a really good fit for playing a bad guy in Japanese action movies. So I just became like Japan's action movie, bad guy for a really long time. And as a function of that, that meant I always had to be able to do fight choreography and I always had to be able to act because you have to be able to do both. Right. Yeah. So that being the case, like when I started, you know, doing my own choreography, I always came at that from, from, you know, the position of the characters themselves first, like, you know, like what are their motivations and what kind of emotional state are they in and what stakes are they dealing with and what are their character arc? And I think of all that when I'm creating the the fight choreography. Gotcha. Whereas, oh, uh, no, go ahead. Did you want to say something? Or, no, go ahead. I'm listening. Whereas, whereas, you know, if you look at what a lot of choreographers do, a lot of them come from martial arts background and they think, okay, well, here's 15 really cool moves. How do I fit all 15 of these really cool moves into one fight? Yeah. You know, but it doesn't really deal, you know, it doesn't really say anything about where the character is at at the time that they're dealing with. Exactly. I mean, you got to think like, would this person be tired or what exactly are they fighting for? Like all of that should dictate the course of the fight. And I really believe that fight choreography or I feel that like every fight is a complete story with a beginning and a middle and an end in and of mm-hmm. itself. And that fights have to be viewed that way. Is you, you just said you played the, the heel or the villain in the Japanese, uh, films where it's like that's the that's usually the simple kind of uh, equation in a fight it's the bad guy versus the good guy right yeah where where it's interesting but then when then if you're really watching films it's like the emotional stakes of something that that are even higher and basically even if the fight choreography is average it's still a better fight because the audience is already is emotionally engaged in the in the situation, I was kind of alluding to this in the previous podcast, but yeah, your film kind of nails it and you're showing an intense situation, intense story. And that that's what the fights, the stakes are like even higher than good versus evil. That's from my, my, my perception. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is too, is, I mean, this is just, you know, my own personal philosophy, but I personally, I don't think there's such a thing as evil people. You know, I mean, I, I think there's, there's broken people, you know, and, uh, you know, there's desperate. Well, you played a villain, you have people. to rationalize your character, I guess, right? You have to like, say, what, why is my character doing these things? What's my motive, I guess, right? Exactly, right? Like, everyone is the hero in their own story. Yeah. You know, and I think in terms of fight choreography, that has to come across as well. 
in terms of it's not just that the protagonist has his motivations, but the antagonist has his motivations as well. Right. And that's what that's always what drives the story. So I think that has to come through in the fight choreography as well. So I, I guess you're kind of alluding that that the Japanese fighters are not as as big because <laughs> you because I guess you had to if you're playing the bad guy you had to be a little bit intimidating I guess right yeah I mean at, at, at my nowadays it's a little bit different you see like younger guys that are like my height and it's actually it's crazy for me I'm like whoa that guy's as big as I am because <laughs> I was always used to being like six inches taller than everybody else when I first came out here um and that's changing because diets are changing and everything else um but generally I was always way bigger than everybody else so um that just led to me being you know the and i was big and i was like physically big so that just led to me playing a ton of bad guys and yeah. for the most part I, I still kind of do not always um i got to play martin luther king in a theater show not too long ago and that was amazing um but generally i, I play bad guys more often than good guys is there is there a strong black population in japan surprisingly at this point there kind of is you know it's not a huge population only about two percent of japan is only two percent of japanese population is kind of ethnic minorities quote unquote or immigrants and a lot of that is is kind of chinese or korean people um so western immigrants like myself represent an even smaller population and then like black western immigrants is even in a smaller and smaller and smaller population but, you know, there's enough of us out here that that there is somewhat of a community. Is there any, like, I don't want to get up on a tangent, but I'm just curious, is there any prejudice that you've you faced uh, in Japan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But the interesting thing about it is that, you know, when you look at prejudice in, for example, in the States, right, um, oftentimes prejudice is based off of stereotypes that people have. You know, they have these preconceived notions of who that of who you are. Sure. And then they judge you or they treat you based on whether those preconceived notions are positive or negative. Whereas in Japan, it's not anything like that. It's basically it's Japanese or non-Japanese. Right. Okay. And like if you're non-Japanese, you're all grouped into the same group. And then it's like and basically for them, you're you're just a question mark. And the the they're the a lot of the racism comes from the fact that they don't know what to expect from you. And, 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 you know, so there's, in that respect, there's sometimes there's more fear, you know, Mm -hmm. or sometimes there's like less fear, right. It just kind of depends on the person, but yeah, Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to make this is, is because I had to deal with a lot of those immigrant struggles myself. Yeah. um, In Japan. That's what I was curious about, like what the what kind of the, the motive was. How long did you spend in uh, in in Korea? How long did you spend in Korea? Before I was in Korea yeah. for about three years, on okay. and off. So, oh wow! Um, yeah. So basically, I've been in Asia for half my life now. I've never actually been an adult in the West. Yeah. So, uh, which is you know, well, I mean, I was I was strictly speaking, I was an adult when I went to Asia the first time. I was. I was 19, I think. So I was technically an adult. But yeah, really I know what you're saying. Adult, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I've only ever been an adult out here. So even things like when I go home and, you know, people talk about doing their taxes and things, I'm like, I don't know, because I haven't been an adult in the States. I, don't, I haven't had a lot of the adult American experiences, quote unquote. Yeah, but you um, except when I come back. You still have to do them in Japan, though, right? 
Oh yeah, of course. But you know, when people will say like, oh, you know, this tax status or that's tax, because I'm used to all the Japanese words and Japanese terms and, and gotcha. these kinds of things. So, and a lot of the things that are very particular about being an adult in the States, I haven't actually experienced. So you speak the language? I do. I do. I've been working on that for 20 years, still not perfect, but I'm, you know, good enough to, to, to be able to shoot and to be able to talk to actors and, you know, to be able to act and everything else. So, but so it's, cool. it's always, always, you know, a continual, it's just something that, that you know, I mean, it's a journey that never ends. Gotcha. Japanese is just a very, very complex language. So, so uh, tell tell every or tell like what is the the weapon that was that 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 she used in the film the Japanese uh, fighting weapon that was used in the film? Okay, there was there was two weapons that were at play. One was uh, the Japanese katana, um, and then the, which I think everybody knows. Everybody loves Japanese swords, right? Especially yeah. for fight choreography. Um, and then the other is what's called a yari or a Japanese spear. And the reason that I wanted to do the fight with a spear is that in general, you know, even in the West, spears are the weapons of guards. Okay. Right? Like guards always use spears, right? Um, the re Another reason that I wanted to do it is because I spent, you know, quite a bit of time studying Japanese uh, theatrical swordplay. And one of the interesting things about that is that you have within swordplay, you have people that are using it. But then when I would you know, talk to sword choreographers and I would say like, okay, how do I use a yadi? Can you please teach me how to use a yadi? And they're like, well, you know, you just pick it up and kind of stab with it. And there was nothing like systemized about it. And I, and I thought, okay, well that, so I started looking into it and I thought that being the case, are they really using this weapon the way that it was actually used, you know, or are they just making it up? Okay. And what I realized is that, I mean, not obviously not everybody, but a lot of people had never formally studied it as a weapon. So then I thought, okay, well, another thing that would be really interesting would be to talk to people who are trained in this and who have been historically trained in this weapon and then to accurately depict the way that the weapon was actually used, um, which is generally people would hold it up high above their head and then they would use it to, to attack the legs to take away mobility. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of the things that I wanted to portray in the film, because that's something that you just never see when you people see people using Japanese spears um, in fight choreography. So I just I wanted to create an accurate portrayal of it. So this is like when you're like I we've seen I've seen a lot of fight scenes, obviously, in film, but the the stakes are even higher with yours because these are real swords like people can get hurt. So the choreography. Actually right. So actually, we didn't use real ones. Okay. So so I used what's called, um, in Japan, fake swords are made of uh, what's called takemitsu, which is thin bamboo. Okay. But the perception um, and is it, that it's, they're real. Even you have a scene where you like, you you put the sword on the, on the, on the cement floor, kind of yeah. to showcase, to show the audience that these are real, but this is a real weapon, I guess. Yes, but it is, it is a real, it is sure. a, a real weapon. So, yeah. but I wasn't using them real weapons in, in the actual shoot. Yeah. Well, that would, that would be kind of like, not, not, I guess that wouldn't be safe, <laughs> the least yeah. be safe I guess. Right. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be pretty dangerous. But the perception is that we're watching, we're watching sort of like a crazy sword fight between your character and, uh, and the two females, I guess. 
You know, the, the other thing that I wanted to put into it as well is that oftentimes when you watch sword choreography, you see people just like swigging these things like crazy and then nobody ever gets hurt until the bad guy gets stabbed at the end. But, mm. you know, the reality of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an intent, I'm intensely a martial artist. I love martial arts. I've been doing it for 30 years. I've, I've, you know, I've got four different master's ranks and I've studied 10 of them in total. And the reality of fighting with edged weapons is that oftentimes it comes down to, you know, the winner comes down to willpower because basically both people just get completely cut up, you know, and then yeah. it's just it's who outlasts the other one, right? Endurance, so, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I wanted to create a fight that shows what really happens when people play with edge weapons is that they get hurt along the way and that they're fighting through injuries. You know, the original choreography to this was actually twice as long, but um, and the film itself was twice as long. But what ended up happening is the first day that we were shooting, it was downpouring rain. It was a two day shoot. And the first day it was downpouring rain. So we were just shooting in between blocks of time. The second day, it was, you know, like 95 degrees and, and you know, total blue skies and, and 80% humidity. So it was intensely hot. So the camera kept overheating. So I showed up with about 12 hours of batteries. And what I ended up with was about four hours of battery time. So, you know, I kept having to swap batteries constantly. And I brought my PC so that I could plug it in and, and check the dailies as we were going. Mm-hmm. And just check the footage as we were going when I was giving the actors breaks. But I ended up using my PC to just charge my batteries as I was shooting instead. So... Um, the original fight was a lot more visceral and every, all three parties in the fight scene got hurt way, much, way more. And it, it was, you know, basically they were just cutting each other down until the end. But I spoke to my cameraman and eventually we just had to make a call that, okay, we're not going to get all the choreography in. So we're just going to cut the choreo. This will make a good point to cut the choreo. So we're going to cut the choreo here and then wrap up. And um, it ended up being just enough that, you know, I could still make a decent film out of the footage that we had. Yeah. Well, do you, do you think it was a blessing in disguise? Because from a, your films getting into like tons of festivals and, and from my perspective, a five minute film is a lot easier. A lot is a very easy film to program. And when you got that intense, because the film doesn't die, it never runs out of steam. It just keeps like, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think that already you, you wish to get a longer film? You know, I, I, I thought it was such a beautiful fight it was such a beautiful fight, and i wished i could have finished it okay but i'm still really happy with how the film turned out at the end i still think it was a really solid piece if i can say so without tooting my own horn yeah um and um you know i was lucky enough that i i shoot on a black magic which are just wonderful low light cameras um because by by the time we were shooting those last few scenes it was really dark you know, and I really wasn't sure the footage would be usable, but there was just enough, you know, there was just enough good footage mm-hmm. that it actually just, it was one of those things where the, where the universe just brought things together, you know, and it, it just, it made the film what it was. And I think that it's still just a really nice little film. I'm, I'm happy with it and I'm proud of it. So you, in terms it, of it choreography, like you, this is what you do, I guess. This is what you do. You, you are a fight choreographer, actor for a living. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So do you so, do you, um, Oh, go ahead. 
No, go. I was just going to say, like, what does that detail? So what do you like? You're doing these shorts on your website. You got a, you got mm -hmm. a few shorts that you've got um, that are doing well, the festival circuit. But do you work in like uh, as a fight choreographer in like in, in feature films in Japan? Like, what is your job? I do. I mean, I have. I've done. Uh, I've done. I've been a choreographer on other projects and everything else. But the main direction that I'm going in and what I really want to do is I love in another life, I was also a peace activist. So um, I worked for a, an NGO called Volunteers for Peace for some time. And I also worked for a Japanese NGO called Peace Boat, where we just sailed around the world doing like, you know, cultural exchanges and sports exchanges and environmental tourism and all that. And what I really want to do in this space of filmmaking is I like the idea of using action cinema to create dialogue about social issues and the kind of social issues that we're facing. Because one of the things that I've, I, you know, I've noticed is that I think I love docs and I think docs are brilliant, but you also have to be interested in the topic already to watch a documentary on it. And sometimes people are, are preaching to their own choir, I guess. Right. Like. Ex exactly. Yeah. I find that so, too. Like I find that like a lot of people are making these amazing documentary films, but the, the wrong people are, are watching those films. Right. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, that's unfortunate sometimes. Exactly. You know, so, and with action cinema, everybody likes watching stuff get blown up and yeah. everybody thinks fight scenes are engaging. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what I would like to do is, is to be able to use action cinema as a way to, you know, just create dialogue, you know, not necessarily to preach or not to, to take this side or to that side to say, this is an issue that's happening. Here's a perspective on this, this issue that's just driven by things getting blown up and people fighting and everything else. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually working on my first feature film right now. We're set to shoot in May. Oh, great. It's called uh, Eastbound Traffic. And it's about, uh, it's about sex trafficking. Okay. So, and basically I've got, you know, it's myself and a few other actors and the main actors are all people who've actually survived the sex industry in Japan, but they also happen to be very good actors. Um, so basically, you know, that's the direction that I want to go. And this one deals with sex trafficking. The next one after that, I want to make one that deals with mental health. You know, the next one after that, I'd like to make a war movie, particularly given what's happening with, with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. You know, that's, and then just basically, I love directing. I deeply love directing. Uh, and I love fight choreography. So, um, I just want to put them together and just make action films that just, you know, help people understand what's happening in the world. So that's amazing. In terms of this film, obviously the two actors besides yourself are kind of key to your film. So it's, it's a, is it Ma, Ma, Hummingbird is the one actor and then it's uh, uh, Mauka. 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 Mm -hmm. Baba. So they're, they're, yeah. they're amazing. And so where yeah. did you find, and obviously they fit into the, the roles that you created. Where did you find those two actors? Actually, they're both they're both stunt people. Um, well, I, I, I assume I, that they were, but they did they had, they they're very good actors as well. I found them because you know Mauka had come into my because I have a training facility in Tokyo where I train actors and I train stunt people, and Mauka had come in to train once, and then she was so diminutive, right? Like she's because she's only one hundred and thirty five centimeters tall. She's like I think four foot nine. And basically she's a child stunt person. 
Like she plays children a lot and things. Um, but she was telling me like, I just, you know, I don't, my challenge is that I just don't work much. Right. And then a few months later, you know, Hachi came in and, you know, or Hachi, her, her um, hummingbird's real name is, is Hachi. She goes yeah. by Hachi. So okay. Hachi came in and she was only like an inch taller than Malka. Right. <laughs> and then I had this idea for almost there floating around in my head for forever. Um, and I thought, originally I thought I would like to do that with Malka, but because our size difference was so huge, I couldn't see having a convincing fight that people would believe. And then when I met Hachi, I thought what could be convincing is, is if there's two of them, you know, and it's two mm -hmm. very small people against one person that's really large. That's yeah. a convincing fight. So then from there, that kind of became the story. I don't know. I think Hummingbird could take one. you. I don't know. She doesn't need anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. And the thing that was so cool is that because they're both kind of underdogs in the industry that they work in. Yeah. They could both just really, really vibe to the characters that they were playing. And they just went so hard. You know, I mean, like that, it was, it was a hard shoot, man. Like, like I said, the first day was just raining and the second day it was so hot, you know, and, and, you know, we're like a lot of the wrecks that Hachi did, she wrecked on concrete, you know, yeah. like that's like, that's like their commitment was just amazing. I just had, I was very, very blessed in that I had a very committed crew. What type of, it was what a skeleton of crew. What type of preparation do you guys do? Like in terms of the choreography, do you guys, what, what type of rehearsal do you guys do before you go on set? So basically what I did is I just went and um, first I sat down with Hachi and Malka and I told them what I wanted to do and what I wanted to try to achieve and why I thought it was important. And then after that, I got together with them and I said, okay, now let's, let's hash out this choreography. Let's create this choreo. And we spent about three or four hours making the choreo. And then after that, I, I went with them and then we we created a previs just to figure out, you know, all, what camera angles we were going to use and then what lenses we were going to shoot on and everything else. And then after we made the previs, the bridge we were shooting on was actually an extremely busy, busy bridge and we were shooting gorilla. So if you watch the film, you you only ever see one side of the bridge. And that's because on the other side of the bridge was a giant driving school okay. <laughs> like and people were crossing the bridge all day and we would just shoot, 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 shoot. And somebody needs to cross. So we would yes. just stop and let them cross. And we go back and just shoot, 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 shoot. Yeah. Um, so basically on the day we had no rehearsal. We just shot the previs and I said, okay, watch the previs as many times as you can. And then we just go and we shoot and we just hammer it out. Judge. And that's how we did it. You know, bridge is such a great location for, for conflict. Cause it, oh, yeah, it's, it's perfect. a metaphor for so many things, I guess. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you teach Taekwondo in Japan, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just yeah, curious. That's that. a that's a Korean that's a, that's a Korean discipline. Is like if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So yes. how does that go over in Japan? I'm just curious about that. That actually, most people think it's really funny that I'm I'm this like black American who teaches a Korean martial art in, in Japan. Yeah, right? yeah, it, it, um, it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, the thing that it's it works well because there's so many people from abroad that do Taekwondo. So, you know, when people come to Japan, they're looking for it because they do it. Right. And yeah. then like, I'm just, you know, we're basically within Tokyo, we're the only English speaking Taekwondo school. 
Um, and then Taekwondo is, is a few days a week. And then also I have my, um, my actors training program. And with that, you know, we teach them fight choreography and I teach them Japanese swords and then Western theatrical swords like rapier and then kind of Indonesian martial arts and Filipino martial arts and, and all these different disciplines of physical movement. So, but is karate is the, is the main discipline in, uh, in, in Japan? There's a few of them. There's karate, there's judo, there's kudo. I mean, there's a lot of Japanese martial arts. Okay. Um, I'm actually a karate master as well. I just don't teach it because my history in Taekwondo is much deeper and much more rich. Yeah. So but it, it gives you it gives you a unique perspective. Like it's a unique. I'm sure there's tons of karate schools in Japan, and then you're but nobody really has a probably has a Taekwondo school. I'm just assuming it. it, it exactly. Yeah. It's a good it's a good class to teach if nobody else is doing it. I guess right. Exactly. That is so interesting. It's like it's it's just like because you're just so you're in such a different culture. It's it like it must be a reverse culture shock when you come to visiting in the states. Like oh, bro, it is totally is yeah, totally. Is. <laughs> you know the big thing is in Japan, everyone's like there, there's a lot of emphasis on social harmony. Yeah, and you know there's there's a good side to that and there's a bad side to that. But the funny thing is, is Americans are so much more like direct and straight, like. Whenever I come home, I'm like, why is everybody so rude? They're so rude. <laughs> and yeah. they're just being just American. They're just being really direct and just saying what they think and saying how they feel. But I'm just, I'm, I'm very much at this point, if I had to put it into, you know, percentages, I'd say about my thinking is about 30% Japanese and 20% Korean. Right. And then the other 50% is American in terms of how I see the world and how I process information and everything yeah. else. I, but I've been told, not by myself, but I've been told by by American Korean or sorry, Canadian Korean, 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 Japanese, that they don't get along that well, Japanese and the Koreans. It's, the funny thing is, is they, they don't when they're in Asia, but they do when they're in a Western country. Right. So like if you have if you take a Korean person and a Japanese person and then you put them in like New Zealand <laughs> you know, okay. or you put them in America, they'll be the first people that like link up and become friends. But in in Asia, they, they kind of don't. Right. Well, because there's a history. A history. There's a reason like there's I guess a... Japan kind of owned them for a long time. And yeah, you know, you know what it honestly reminds me of is is the same kind of you know, traditional historical issue you have between white Americans and black Americans. It's that same kind of thing where if, you know, if we're taken outside of America, then it's like, Hey, another American right on, you know, yeah. and you're just happy to meet another American. But in the States, there's like, you know, both people have stereotypes and, and, you know, there's just a rough history that makes, you know, things more complex. And I think it's the same kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. I don't want to. I, I don't want to tackle that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I guess the the yeah. one thing that Japanese Americans have a common it's it's capitalism. I guess right. Yeah. So, yeah. Like industry, making money, and like producing things. I guess it's like that. Those two, like those two, like j j nobody does it better than Japanese and the Americans. I guess. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting too because culturally, um, there's a lot of you know, commonality, because I lived in both, right? Yeah. You know, there's a ton of commonality between Japan and Korea. Yes. And the infrastructure of both countries works exactly the same. You know, the, the the base of the language is very similar, you know, but there's just enough differences that like, if they don't, two people meet, and they don't understand those cultural differences, 
that it can cause conflict. Yeah. You know, so. Um, well, I just, I just been told like my neighbors, like, I have a lot of neighbors who are Korean and that they, they just tell me that, that because Japanese culture is in Korea because they, they basically kind of own them for a long time. So then they, they brought baseball to Korea, for example, they brought other kind of Japanese cultural things into Korea so that there's that kind of like it's still there but then that said they said they they Jap Japan tries to bring in products to Korea and they don't sell they're basically they're like they poo-poo that they poo-poo buying uh, Japanese kind of product I guess in Korea yeah there's a lot this of my third hand this is a third hand conversation right so yeah 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 so on there's there's I think there's uh yeah I, yeah, I, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I, sh I shouldn't get so, so into that myself. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's just so, it, I, it, I find it, is, it, it is very, yeah. I find it. I, it's no, I very find it fascinating, having been, yeah, you know, being an outsider in both places, but having lived in both places. Yeah, like the cultural differences and the cultural similarities between them are just fascinating. Yeah, just absolutely. You have a you you have an interesting perspective, right? Like, because you're not you're neither yeah. one, so you have a you have an interesting point of view. That's why I was just curious about it. Because you lived yeah. in both countries, and yeah, yeah so then you 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 you're a master at taekwondo and karate, which is which is amazing in itself, right? So, so yeah. tell me about okay. So then, it's, so it's I thought I thought this movie was fantastic. By the way, like it's such a perfect movie for. And you can tell your other this film, your other films are getting into uh, festivals. So I love to see your feature when it's done. So what's your preparation? Are you starring in the feature as well? I'm not. Basically, the the feature is going to have four four main characters, and it follows all four of the characters at once. Because basically, what I what I wanted to do with this is to say, like, okay, you know, what is it that drives people into the sex industry? Like what, what kind of history do these people have? And, and, you know, what kind of broken backgrounds do they come from when they come from broken backgrounds that pulls them into this kind of dark underworld. And then what happens when these people who come from these, who come from, you know, varying different broken backgrounds with very different um, mentalities and what happens when they collide with each other. And that's what the story's about is you know for these people from four very different perspectives yeah. who are all in this industry and then they just collide with each other um you know one of them is is uh you know a russian girl who had lost her sister you know and then another one is is a trans woman who you know was trying to pay for a surgery and then another one the character i play was somebody who had come from who was from a, a u.s military base in japan but was escaping from you know an abusive father yeah um and just was stuck in japan you know and just needed to find some way to survive yeah so he got into trafficking right so it's all um, about survival I'm, right yeah it's all about at the end of the day it's all about survival but i also wanted this to be a really accurate portrayal of what that world is and especially because whenever you watch movies about japan or you see movies about tokyo it's always kind of like glitzy and glammy and neon lights and and cute characters everywhere um but i mean there's a side of of well like anywhere you know but there's a side of tokyo that's really dark you know and i wanted to be able to show that and to be like this is tokyo too mm. you know i mean even though you know you can you can leave a wallet with 500 dollars in it 
sitting on a park bench and no one will steal it, which is amazing. They'll just go to the police and turn it in and you can go pick it up. Yeah. You know, there's stuff like that. But then at the same time, there's other things that are about it that are just dangerous. Gotcha. There's a lot of other, it's just dangerous in different ways. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of what I wanted to portray with that film. Cool. Well, I can't wait to see it. So I wish you the best of luck with it. Like I said, great. This is a great proof of concept or of your, your, your talent as a coordinator. It's an easy film. Like, Hey, you want to see who you are? Watch this film. And it's like, it shows you who you are in a nutshell. So I wish you the best. And uh, yeah, you're kind of an amazing guy, like what you're doing in Japan. You don't run into this very often. So I, I appreciate your candor and the conversation. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time for the interview. Yeah, you're awesome. All right, man. So let's talk again when that film is made. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and thank you guys as well for just putting on such an amazing, you know, amazing, amazing festival. You know, it was just, it's, it's been great. And, and, you know, the feedback that, that I was able to get, um, you know, even though it was just online feedback was just really, really awesome. And honestly, it was really vindicating because, you know, as a filmmaker, you set out to, you set out to to share certain feelings or to share certain ideas, right? And then to hear the people in the response video, to hear that they got it and they yeah. understood and that, you know, even though it was all just visual storytelling, that they really understood what I was trying to say. I mean, to be honest, it brought a tear to my eye because we fought like hell to make this movie happen. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and just about, and I was like, oh, they got it. They actually got it. It's amazing. And it made me very, very happy. So I super, super appreciate you guys as well and really appreciate the fact that, that you know, you do as much as you do for the filmmaker, you know? So thank you too. Thank you. All right, man. Like I said, we'll hopefully, uh, we'll talk again soon. I hope so. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, 